John 8 is where we're going to start off. Welcome. We have about 10 to 12 of our high schoolers off at camp right now, so some of you have had a much quieter home this last weekend. Ours diminished only a tiny bit. It's still uh, fairly loud. So John 8 is where we'll start. If you're new with us, there's a card uh, in the seat in front of you. I'd love to just get to know you. You can fill out your name, email address, that kind of thing. Any prayer requests that we can be praying for you, we'd love to find them there and um, just ways to communicate with the staff, how we can improve things that you need to inform the staff about, that sort of thing. So feel free to use it that way. We live in what's called a free country. And this one fact settled many, many arguments in my neighborhood amongst the school kids growing up. One kid would be doing something, another kid would say, hey, stop it. And then the other kid would respond, yeah, well, make me, you know, or I don't have to, or something like that. And then the other kid, you know, comes back with another retort. And then the one that would end the argument is this. Yeah, well, it's a free country. And who could argue with that, right? You're like, well, I, I can't argue with that. We live in America. It's a free country. I guess we're done here. So it would just kind of, you know, part ways and it would, it would settle the score. Uh, as kids, you don't really appreciate some of the freedoms that we enjoy until you get older. You don't really appreciate freedom, in fact, until it's taken away from you or, or, or until you don't have that freedom. All of a sudden, it becomes a lot more valuable. Here's my, here's my question this morning, kind of as we open up, is this. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be free? And the second question is this. Are you free? Now, I don't know your reaction to what I just asked, but I suspect it might be something similar to some Jews that Jesus was talking to when he brought up the the topic of freedom with them. John chapter 8, starting in verse 30. Just follow along with me. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed him. So that's kind of tying in the, the previous passage, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, very key little part to what we're about to hear. He says this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, what's the next word? Free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, this is a great sermon to preach, but it's not the one I'm preaching this morning. That's, that's a really interesting text. Here's why I'm starting here this morning. First of all, do you know that these are people who believe in Jesus? These are Jews that believed in him. That's who he's talking to. And what is Jesus starting to do? He's starting to take discipleship and actually unpack it. Do you notice that he calls uh, their father and his father two different people, right? They're appealing to Abraham here. There's this if-then clause going on. What are true disciples? It's those who abide in the word. Catch this. It's not just those who believe. What does James say about demons and belief? Anyone know? Come on. Huh? They believe in God. So if you believe in God, you qualify for demonhood. Like that's, that's the starting point, right? Good for you. Right? 
How come things, how come we're not hearing from God? How come we're not experiencing the Christian life? I believe in Him. Jesus is saying here this to people who believe in Him. There's this if then clause of true disciples abide in His word. If you go on to verse 39, He starts talking about deeds. You do the things of your Father. Now they appeal to Abraham. They're resentful that he would think that they are anything but free. And so they make this appeal to Abraham, which we're going to tie back into Galatians in just a moment. Now, where this goes from here is Jesus tells them that their father is the devil and not God. Okay, that's where the passage goes. They, in turn, make racial slurs and call him possessed by a demon, and it kind of degrades from there. It's an interesting passage because he goes on to talk about the fact that you want to appeal to Abraham Before Abraham was, I am. In the present tense, I am. I existed before Abraham. So they were appealing to Abraham, their great father in the faith, who they were clinging hope to. Does any of this ring a bell with Galatians? Do you see where we're going with this? I mean, this is where where we've been soaking in. Jesus puts forth the idea of how to be free. And to a people who prided themselves on not being enslaved, it produced this kind of response. How dare you? How dare you insinuate that I'm not free in some way, shape, or form? What about us? Maybe we would be tempted to answer very similarly to the Jews. I live in America. You bet I'm free. America's been blessed by God. It's the land of the free, right? We could could immediately have kind of a similar response. I've never been enslaved to anyone. What Jesus is doing here, he's teaching something about discipleship. He's kind of blowing their narrow minds up. He's saying, let me tell you about an all-encompassing truth that's massive. It's way up here. And here you are kind of tinkering around with, with some ideas down here. Uh, here, are, here are the implications of this. Um, Jesus is saying this. Discipleship has everything to do with sonship and being rescued out of slavery. I mean, we get that right here from John 8. He talks about slavery and sons, and he talks about freedom. And all of a sudden, he's leading, he's leading the people who are hearing his voice and ours, because God recorded this for us to still have, to hear something massive about discipleship. Hey, it's about sonship. It's about being my child. And that's how he's revealing it. When Jesus says, follow me, the implications to to what he's talking about, to what it means to be a son or a daughter, to have a place to belong, to have your deepest uh, thirsts quenched. By the way, he does this elsewhere with a woman at the well. Remember, he brings up the idea of being thirsty, right? And he has this same kind of conversation. He's talking way up here, and he introduces himself as living water. What's she talking about? About just about just thirst, physical thirst. So here here he is in John 8, teaching some things about discipleship. Here's some of the implications of that, that we now get to follow out of desire and not out of guilt. It's about sonship. It's about daughtership. It's about being welcomed in. It's about, about having this place to belong. It's not that we get roped into that in some guilt-ridden way. It's that we long for that. It's our deepest desire. Following is marked by passion and not by principles. He was talking to the master of principles, the people who were the policymakers of all the principles, 
the Pharisees, those, those Jewish, uh, um, Jewish leading party. And finally, we continue to follow out of desperation and not out of obligation. As a son or a daughter of God, you, you might find yourself sometimes like one of the disciples who said this. Jesus said some hard things. A lot of people left. And he turns to his disciples. He says, how about you guys? Are you guys going to go too? Remember what they said? Hey, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. This is my family. I mean, I finally found where I belong. I don't even get what you're talking about right now. It's scary and I want to leave, but I'm not going anywhere else. So it's not that we continue to follow Jesus out of some sort of religious obligation and duty. It's out of desperation. Where else are we going to go? The going's getting rough, but there's nowhere else to go. You alone have the words of life. Now, some of you started out on this left side of the column. You started off your walk there, and the flesh has this gravity pull to the right side of the column. So some of you, over time, have found yourself sliding from passion to principles. What started off as desire, God, I, I don't want to do a quiet time out of guilt. I want to do it because I long to be with you. I'd love to hear from you. Why would I want to start my day with arguing talk radio when I could meet with God? Why wouldn't I want to do that? But it's kind of slid there. You know what's worse? Some in this room have been led there by false teachers. You've been taught the way away from passion and into guilt. You've been taught away from desperation into obligation. Paul is a very good pastor, and the reason I know that is because of this. He can't stomach the fact that people would start off on the left side of this column and walk, try to walk this life in the right side of the column. So you know what he did? He wrote this letter that we now call Galatians. He wrote this letter because his friends the people that he had pastored had started off on the left side of this column about sonship, about belonging, about their deepest uh, thirst being quenched, and they were starting to get tripped up into the right side of the column. Specifically, many Christians were being persuaded to participate in these Jewish rites in a misguided attempt to either earn their salvation or keep their salvation. Paul said, enough. I'm going to write to you. Remember how strong the language was in chapter 1? If, if you're not doing this, would you, would you please, this would, this would enhance what goes on in your 40 minutes of the sermon time of this worship service. It would enhance it so much if periodically you would just go read Galatians by yourself all the way through in one sitting. Just, just, just discipline yourself, maybe every other week, maybe once a month, as we're going through something like this, just to kind of get the whole flow of things. Because you'll hearken back to that chapter 1 where Paul jumps right on their case. He doesn't jump right on their case because he doesn't love them. Quite the opposite. It's telling your child, stop! Because there's a car coming. And I love you so much, I'd be willing to make a fool out of myself and just jump right to the warning. That's what Paul does with this. One of the big themes of the book that, that we laid out in the very first uh, sermon of this chapter, or of this book, 
was the idea of freedom. That was one of the doctrines. That was one of the themes that looms really, really large in this. And Paul is a little bit like a freedom fighter. He's like an abolitionist. He's saying no to slavery. He's fighting for it. He says this is worth dying for. This is worth risking relationship for. I'm going to keep pushing on this. Paul knew something. He knew that the truth sets you free, and conversely, lies lead you into bondage. Now, here's why you want in on this. You want in on what's being talked about this morning because you struggle with freedom as well. You struggle with longings that aren't met today as well. There's a strange power that emotions hold over us. Now, some are really, really good at being just kind of flatline, even keel on the outside um, and really having really having all kinds of emotions going on on the inside. Some of you can't spell flatline. You don't know anything about flatline at all because your emotions, they just come, they just come pouring out. And you, and you kind of know where someone stands at all times. Emotions have this ability to bind us, don't they? How about past hurts? Some of you can think back 20 years ago right now to a broken heart. And you go, wow, that, that has this ability. It's like handcuffs on my life. I don't know how to get rid of that thing, but it's there. Here's another weird one. How about money and stuff? You ever been to a funeral and you're sitting there going, wow, it really does kind of all go back in the box. Like, like you know, the one with the most toys doesn't win. That's a dumb thing to live for. It's, it's dumb to accumulate stuff and, and get trapped in stuff. Because none of it's satisfied. None of it is really eternal. It's all kind of a smokescreen. But, but then you evaluate your life and you go, wow, I live more for money and stuff than I care to admit. It's got this weird bond on me. Someone gets something, I want that something. I get that something, they come out with a newer model in two days, I want that new model, right? Which will only last a few seconds because they've built their technology since then. And so money and stuff have this ability to, 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 to hold on to us. How about temptations that we know are ruining us, but still have a hold on us? And I could go on and on. In fact, we, we could just sit and dialogue about the things that, that enslave us, that, that, that entrap us. I'm not talking to people outside the church right now. You're all here. You're all inside the church. So you want in on what's being said this morning. Because we struggle with, with freedom and bondage as well. Would you hear this? God wants you free. God wants you free. And furthermore, God wants you to remain free. It's one of the big ideas I want you to grab. All right, Galatians 4. Flip over to Galatians 4 now. What today's passage is, is an illustration. Paul is reaching back into history and he's going to teach from it. Now, we've got some teachers in the room this morning. Teachers love to illustrate. Teachers love to take an object and start tying meaning to it to kind of show you things. Teachers love to tell stories and show uh, show visuals, and they love to use music and art because there's something about an illustration that just settles a truth deep into the soul. So teachers love to illustrate. Paul's no different. Paul's going to use history to illustrate some things. Now, hear this. 
He doesn't negate the fact that it's actual history that he's talking about, but he's going to take it and say this. It's kind of like when, and he's going to use it for illustration purposes. Now, there's an art to illustrating, though. I know that I have illustrated poorly when people remember the illustration and not the point. When people come to me after the sermon, they go, one time I had this happen too. I'm like, oh, okay. And I hear the story, and I get it. But I know that I've illustrated poorly if, if, if the, the, the illustration is not serving the point. If the illustration isn't serving the point, then it's broken. I'll tell you, some of my best illustrations, you guys never hear. I'm like, oh, I so want to use that illustration. It's perfect, but it doesn't serve the point. So it gets lopped off by about Thursday or sometimes Saturday night. I just go, no, I, uh, that's, that doesn't fit. That's not driving home what needs to happen. So I'm bringing up all this little stuff because of this. Our big mistake this morning would be to get hung up on the illustration. Here's my sense. My sense is that most of us, if I were to read this passage, cold turkey, with nothing else, you would have gone like this. Huh? It, it would have just kind of been lost on you, and so you would have kind of checked out for it. Um, the other side of you, there's a few, there's a few Bible nerds in here, uh, kind of like myself, who would have like dove in and like, oh, let's turn to Genesis and look at the actual historical thing and see what he's talking about. And we could spend all of our community group time this week discussing the nuances of this allegory and da da da, and it would miss the point. So let me give you the point right up front on a silver platter. Okay, this is what Paul is driving to. Don't miss it. Then we're going to go back and look at the illustration. Would you look at verse 31 of chapter 4? Here's what it says. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That's the point. Okay? Just get that in your mind. That's what this morning is about. We're not children of the slave woman. We're children of the free woman. Okay? That's that's the point that he's getting to. Um, that we can't miss. Now, he's been driving home spiritual lineage for a while now. Look, look over in chapter 3 for a moment. Look at 3.7. In chapter 3, verse 7, he says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Remember how many times Abraham is brought up in Galatians? It's like 20 plus, I think. It's a lot of times. It's a big deal. So all of a sudden, as we get to chapter 431 and this point that he's coming back to again, it kind of sheds light on 3.7 where we go, oh, yeah, remember that. Those are the ones who were the sons of Abraham. How about 329? Skip down to there. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And now in 31, he's reminding them, Christians, by default, if you are a Christian, that means you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a son of Abraham. If you're a son of Abraham, you're an heir according to the promise. It all fits together. So for, so verse 31 is just another layer of this thing he's been driving at for quite a while. Abraham had two sons. Those in, in Christ are sons of promise, heirs who are freedom children. All right. Let me read, starting in verse 21. This is our passage today, uh, 21 down to 5.1. It says this. Remember, he left off last week in a letter. It's not last week. It was a second ago that we just read this. I'm perplexed about you. I wish I could change my tone. 
Remember the false teachers making much of you? I'm not doing that. I'm telling you the truth, and you're hurling enemy bombs at me. He goes on to say this. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. At this point in your quiet time, you're, you're trying to skip ahead. I already know that. She, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written... Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of, you, of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what, do the, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And then the point again. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Do you see why I gave you the point in advance of all of that? There's a lot to get lost in there. Some of you can't, can't really do good with directions from one place here to one spot in downtown San Jose, and you get to this text and you're like, uh, get me back to a proverb or a psalm or something in the Gospels. That's just, that's just sticky. I don't get it. Well, I'm not here to confuse you. Paul wasn't there to confuse you. Um, but I, I want to I do just a tiny bit of background work to kind of get us into something. If, if you want to get into a country, you have to go through customs, right? If you want to get into this text, you have to go through some customs before you will understand what's being talked about because it lands on our ears really, really strange. So let me walk through uh, just, just a couple of customs. We need to think like a person, not only from a different part of the world, but from a completely different era. Now imagine I'm teaching uh, in rural China, and I mentioned the big game, I mentioned Seahawks, and I mentioned 49ers, and I mentioned tailgating. By the way, I'm preaching 2,000 years from now. Do you see how hard it is for rural people in China 2,000 years from now to understand what I'm talking about? If I use it here, everyone gets it. Oh, not 49ers, huh? <laughs> Sorry. Some of you are like, wishful thinking. Actually not. I'm not a Niner fan. Um, who else is in it? The Broncos. Come on, Dave. That was last week. So last week. Um, so, so in the same way that that illustration would just leave people in rural China scratching their head, so it is that we read this and we just go, what? But the people hearing this, they would have heard this history and lived this history, and they, these things are rehearsed and talked about all the time. So this is, this is right on the tip of their tongue. Here's a, here's a couple of customs. First custom is this. If no offspring is able to be produced biologically, then the custom of the day was that your chief servant would become the offspring. Now, if you were to go back in, into Scripture, you could read all about this in Genesis 15. Go read Genesis 15 this afternoon, and you'll see this. Abraham's freaking out because his chief servant is in line to be heir. 
Everything that you've worked for, your all your estate, everything, that's going to be left to this person because there's no son that's born. His wife, Sarah, is barren, and the guy is getting older. So God answers him in this fear. Abraham cries out to God in utter desperation. God answers him in very specific, clear terms. And if you want to jot this down, you can look at it uh, later. Um, well, it's in Genesis 15. I don't have the, the, the specific way. But, um, but he answers them very clearly. You're going to have a son. And that's, that's where the nation's coming from. We looked at this in the Step of Yes uh, series this last summer. That's the promise to Abraham. A great nation is going to come from your body. Couldn't have been more clear. But here's what goes on. A few years go by. You ever receive a promise from God and then a few years go by and you, keep, you start to wonder? So here's custom two that I want to show you. What happens in the story is this. He does something that is a custom of the day. How to create an heir, plan B. If my wife is barren, uh, then I will go into my younger, more fertile slave girl, Hagar, at my wife's suggestion. Now, that should land on you as very strange, right? Let me tell you that, that this was perfectly acceptable and perfectly legal, hear me now, culturally, not before God. Culturally, this was legal and this was completely acceptable. No one looked at Abraham as an unrighteous man. Hagar, in fact, does get pregnant and births Ishmael, the son of the slave woman that's being talked about here in Galatians. It's legal and it's acceptable culturally, but not before God. Here's a little side thing, not the main point of the sermon, okay? But, but huge for us. Laws and acceptability change over time. Why don't you go back and read, uh, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Day 40 years ago. Go back only 40 years ago in this country. Look at what was legally and acceptably allowed to be done to our black-skinned brothers and sisters in the South and in America 40 years ago. You want to go back only 20 years ago to South Africa. Laws and acceptability change over time. How about the behavior of our politicians? Remember politicians used to have to cover up all their junk? Now, you just put out in the open. Hey, he's a great policymaker, and, and this, this goes across the board. I'm not picking on any one side here. How about what's acceptable at an awards show these days? Can you imagine what goes on at award shows today, um, even 10 years ago? The acceptability factor changes and morphs from, from time to time and from place to place. So here's the, here's the point. Just because it's legal or acceptable doesn't make it right or wrong. I'll tell you what's in the news almost every single day if you look for it at all. Legalization of pot and same-sex marriage. Those are two biggies right now. Every day, I can find something on that without even having looked very hard for it. Over time, things shift culturally. You could be well within the norm of what's legal and acceptable and be outside of the bounds of God. Here's the question for us as Christians. Are we going to stand on and lean on God's unchanging word on a specific matter? Are we going to do the hard work of cutting through culture and trying to discern, God, what, what is it that you've said here? 
Are we going to be biased to our own age and think that just the last 10, 20 years were the enlightened ones to the neglect of everything else and be kind of like a, a, you know, a year snob, right? Our year is the best. We know it best right now. Or are we going to do the hard work of trying to discern? God, you're unchanging. You have a truth to this. All right, that's, that's just side. Um, as you're reading this, you might get to a place where you say, okay, two kids, got it. Uh, two moms, you know, yeah, makes sense. Um, two covenants, okay, starting to, starting to lose me a little bit. Two locations. I, what are you talking, you know, Mount Sinai and Arabia. As we're going through this stuff, it would, it would behoove you to have your scriptures open sometimes with some basic tools around to just kind of help you. Some of you have study Bibles that as you're going through in your quiet time, just have some notes, have a little asterisk. I remember it took me a long time to figure out those actually were pointing to other information that I could use to kind of help me gather what's going on. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, one by his wife. Let's take Ishmael just for a moment. Ishmael represents the slave. It represents human effort. It's Abraham helping out God. God says it crystal clear. The son of promise is going to come from you and your wife. It doesn't happen in the right timeline, so he helps out God. Let me ask you this. Did Abraham have faith when he was uh, pursuing, giving birth, you know, producing Ishmael? The answer is Yes. He had faith in himself, right? Don't ever let someone tell you, well, that's because you're a person of faith. So the argument shuts down. That person, whoever just said it, they're a person of faith too. We're all people of faith. Abraham's faith was in himself. What can I do to help the process? God clearly forgot. I'm going to go help God out by doing this. So in this story, Ishmael represents human effort. It represents all that we can accomplish. Now, did it fit the cultural norms and was it legal? Absolutely. Did it lead to enslavement and death? Absolutely. Now, let's take Isaac for a moment. Isaac is the son of promise. It represents God's effort. It represents what he has promised to accomplish. Recognize this. When God promises to accomplish something in the way that he does it, it often cuts against what's culturally acceptable. And sometimes, in some eras, it's completely illegal. Do you see why the Christian has to be really discerning? Isn't it easy in history to look back and say, man, the people under Nazi Germany, those Christian pastors, they should have spoken up. They should have done differently. They should have broken the laws earlier. That's because we have the benefit of time looking back. The hard work is when you're trudging through now and say, what if something we're doing right now is considered illegal in five years? It's going to be a frog cooking kettle. It's going to be a little slow change over time of where that morphs to. So it's going to take discerning spirits. It's going to take leaning on God. It's going to say, God, I know you have a word on this. Would you show me what that is and then give me confidence to walk in that? Talk about cutting across cultural norms and sensibilities. With God, the barren woman, and the virgin. Talk about breaking laws. That's breaking natural law, Right? The virgin and the barren woman are having baby showers thrown for them. God cuts across cultural norms. He doesn't do things the way that we tend to do them. Abraham had two sons. Which one are you? The Christian is free 
from human effort and rest solely on what God has already accomplished. Now, with all this freedom in mind, Paul gives us the rally cry of kind of what we're to do with this. And I, you find it in, in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says this, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, we could lift that out of context and apply it to all kinds of circumstances. But note that in Galatians here, what he's talking about very specifically is that, that his friends were battling not even law living versus great grace living, but something I think more insidious, kind of a hybrid of the two. I think law living and grace living are like black and white. You can see it really clearly, but you know what's really hard to distinguish is when it's was when a hybrid of grace and law. A lot of grace and then some law thrown in there. I think the people I'm speaking to this morning, I think most of us, myself included, struggle with that. Kind of this little bit of law that starts to creep in. It just starts to, to bleed into things. That specifically is what Paul is saying to break free from. Rest in the fact that you're a freedom child. Rest in it. In fact, stand in it is what he says here. Christ wears a lot of rightful titles, and here we see him as Christ the liberator, the one who buys us our freedom. In Christ, we get in on the promise. We are the heirs. The promise is that God looks on Jesus who absorbed the wrath for our sin. The promise that we're in on is that we no longer bear the awful punishment that our sin demands. The promise is that Jesus alone empowers us to live free. Now look at what Paul does in one verse. He gives us a truth to believe and he gives us a command to obey. Here's the truth to believe. Christ has set you free. Done. Believe it. Walk in that. Rehearse that. Remember that. It's done. Christ has set you free. That's the truth. Now, what's the command to obey? You guys give it to me. What's the command to obey? Stay free. Stand firm in that. Do you see the partnership? All through this summer, I love the Step of Yes series because it was God's part and our part. God keeps partnering with us. Who does the heavy lifting? Yeah, who does all the lifting? God. I mean, God really does it all, right? But he still draws us in. He's not busy doing other things. And so he says, look, you guys take up some of the work. You guys stand firm for a while. I'm tired. He's drawing us in to be in partnership with him. I've set you free. Your role in this is to stand firm in that. There was a song I was taught as a kid, and um, maybe you've heard it. It goes like this. I have decided to follow Jesus. You guys know that one? So we would sing this sometimes at evening kids club and whatnot, and, and typically as we sung it, there would be kind of this melancholy vibe to it, and then it gets to the part where it says this, no turning back. No turning back. And the song typically is sung kind of, you know, you could almost imagine shuffling along in the chain gang or something. 
you know. And I thought, well, there's good stuff back there, but you can't turn back or turn to a pillar of salt, I think. I think that's how all of it's good. So we'd sing it. Man, we're just marching forward. I'm a little kid singing this song. If you soak yourself in Galatians, do you know what this song turns into? This song, song turns into like a super upbeat, bright jazz number complete with jazz hands. I mean, this, here's what it is. Robert loved that one. Here's what this is. I've decided to follow Jesus, not going back. Never! Never going back. Do you see it? I mean, in the first version, doesn't the obligation fall on me? I mean, I always took it that way. Here's the problem. Even as a kid, I knew that I looked back sometimes. I wasn't good enough to make the team. When you sing the song the first way, it heaps all this obligation that says this, you, Dave, better keep up your end of the bargain. When you soak in Galatians, church, I am praying that this book forever changes our church. I mean, I pray that this launches us forward in some ways that we would look back in a decade and say, remember Galatians? It wasn't the power of Dave preaching or Ben preaching next week or the music or the killer props that are all around the room. None. Right? Dave's slacking. I was tired from Christmas. Okay, give me a break. No, I'm kidding. It was the power of the word of God. And when you soak in Galatians and you come back to, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, it flips it completely. I'm free. God's already set me free. I'm never, ever going back. Not because of me. Not even because of how good I stand firm or don't stand firm. It's a done deal. I'm no longer a slave. And it flips the song completely. So we might be introducing that in the band in a couple weeks. Um, you never know. You can just never know around here. All right. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about, I want you to think about our neighborhood. I hope you pray for your neighborhood. I hope you pray for your immediate neighbors. If we can't love our immediate neighbors, um, then, then we're missing something. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? We all have immediate, actual neighbors. And I know some of you, I've lived next to people, where I'm like, Lord, it can't mean the person literally right next door, at least not to my right. It must mean the person on my left, right? Because it's hard to love the people right next door sometimes. Wouldn't you agree we'd be missing something as a church if we didn't think about, pray about, engage with, try and strategize to how we can serve John Muir Middle School, who we share a fence line with? Absolutely, and so we do. I was just praying this week, thinking, God, what would, what would our individual neighborhoods look like, all the pockets that we live in, and then this immediate neighborhood, what would it look like in this neighborhood if just the people in the sound of my voice this morning and second service really believed the truth that Christ has set us free? And then walked out these doors and really took seriously the command to just stand firm in that, to walk in that. Paul does this elsewhere with the the idea of victory. You've been given the victory. Now, remain there, immovable. Don't you see how that changes things? How would your marriage change? How would your relationships change? How would your work change? What would your dreams change? And hopes begin to morph into 
if we're completely free in the belonging of, of Christ. And we know that. We're utterly and deeply convinced of that. Um, I want you to... Well, here's what I think would happen. I think shackles would come loose and there'd be a lot more skipping. That's what I wrote. I mean, I just think about people, you know, I'm going to walk to, to, to Sprouts and my mind is just thinking about the fact that I belong to Christ. I might just skip to Sprouts. And then it would give me a witnessing opportunity. Hey, you're 42. Why are you skipping? And I'm like, man, I, I got to tell you why I'm skipping. I mean, skipping evangelism. Can't you see it? That's a whole new program we could start up. All right. Some of you still have keys. If you have keys, I want you to take them out and put them in your hand for a moment. I know some of you live in a keyless world. I'm trying to get there, but some of us still, still have keys. Here's what I want. If you're a prisoner, what you long for, think Pirates of the Caribbean, what you long for is those keys. You do anything for the keys. That's what you really spend all your time thinking about. As a Christian, Paul's reminding his brothers and sisters in Galatia, you already hold the key. You already have it. Friends, tell me what the key is to being free from the law. Someone tell me that. It's an actual question. What, what's the key? What's, what's the key to not living under the tyranny of law, under the shackles of law? Grace. If you want to sum it up in a word, it's grace. Remember Jesus' resume? Who gets in on Jesus' resume? Those who put their faith in Christ. It's that, it's that we get in on what Christ has accomplished by his bloody death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is the key to our freedom. Now here's what I want you to do this week um, as just kind of a reminder. When I get my keys out of my pocket, listen, that little jingle, and I go to start my car. When I go to hang my keys up, when I get home, there's a little jingle. You know what I want this week? I want freedom to ring. Every time you hear keys, I want you to hear this. Let freedom ring! Listen to me. When you screw up this week, and you will, who told? I, no one told. I just know you. When you fail this week, you know what I want you to do? I want you to let freedom ring. Christ was put on a cross for that failure. Grace covers that failure. God can't love me any less or more because of this failure. And I want you to celebrate that. Conversely, when you do something off the hook great this week, I hope you lead 12 people to Christ from a pure motive. When that happens, you know what I want you to do? I want you to let freedom ring. You know what it is? God doesn't love me anymore. There's nothing I just did to earn anything of his acceptance of belonging at his table as his child. I'm his child. That's a done deal. You know what's great news about that? The next day when you don't lead 12 people to Christ, there's no obligation. It's not you keeping it up. So whether you do great this week or whether you do terribly this week, would you let freedom ring? Would you just shake the keys and let it be a reminder of the gospel, a reminder of the truth, 
a belief that says, I've already been set free. Some of you don't believe you've been set free. Here's my challenge to you. Get settled on this. You don't get this. You don't pass go. You don't move forward in the Christian life. In fact, I would say this. You are stuck in some kind of a religious cul-de-sac if you are not clear and utterly convinced and know in the depths of your soul that you really are free in Christ. Let me invite the band up. People who covenant, and by the way, if you've never studied up on what covenant is, it's one of the coolest words. It takes law and it takes love and it strengthens both of them. If you get just law, then it's a contract. I never do premarital and say we're entering into a contract. Let's get the prenups out. I tell them, you are entering into a covenant before God. And it strengthens law and it strengthens love. Those who have covenanted with God are called Christians. Christians who covenant together are called the church. Let me say this. If you are not in a covenant relationship with your local church, we call that membership. You are missing out on a whole giant part of what God is providing with you in his spiritual family. Can you imagine standing alone on something all by yourself? We know there's a battle on our hands or else Paul wouldn't have said, stand firm. If it was going to be easy to remain free, he would have just said, there, it's done. But instead he instructs us under the direction of the Holy Spirit, therefore, stand firm in this. Don't you ever submit to slavery again. Don't you let anyone tell you again that you need to earn God's grace. So what God did is he provided you with a family, and what a family does, what Christians have done throughout the ages is they've covenanted together so that they say, I belong to you and you belong to me. Read the New Testament. The leaders of the church are charged with knowing their flock. That means there are some who are their flock and some who aren't their flock. If you have been attending here regularly for a long time, here's my question to you. Why have you not covenanted with us? Maybe it's a really simple answer. Dave, we didn't know. We just didn't know. Fair enough. In a couple of weeks, it's in your bulletin. In a couple of weeks, we're going to go through um, a, a membership class where we, we just explain, here's, here's why membership at Neighborhood Bible Church. Now, I recognize some of you have had terrible experiences with it. Some of you have been members, and it didn't mean anything. We held off doing membership at this church for a really long time because we didn't want it to just be kind of a meaningless religious tack-on. But we believe, as Scripture commands us, that we're to covenant together with one another and that it ought to mean something. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to be having a membership class. If you are not yet a member, and by the way, there's no requirement. It doesn't mean that you have to have proven yourself for perfect attendance for the last year. No one's checking on that. No one cares about that. But we'll teach you. We'll show you. Here's the process that, that we've set up. The, the, the Bible has left some wide open things about how to do membership. 
but we're going to just show you some scriptures and what I saw. I, I invite you to that. Um, some of you are members, and just me bringing up membership reminds you of maybe a home visit with the elders that, that has already gone on. And, and it just reminds you, that's right, God's brought us here. We've covenanted with these people. You know what? That means that when someone across the room over here is hurting, you know who else is hurting? I'm hurting because I'm part of this family and I'm part of this body. And when that person over there is rejoicing, I'm not, I'm not taking score and saying, yeah, well, I'm better than them. I'm rejoicing with them. I'm celebrating with them. That's what a body does. All right, let me pray. Father, there's just so much in this passage, and I thank you for hard texts. I thank you for uh, illustrations that seem to stretch uh, way beyond our normal capacity to, to get them. Lord, I pray that you would take your word, and from Paul's illustration, from my attempt at explanation, God, and use it uh, just to, to change our lives. I pray that you would help us to walk in the freedom that we already possess, and we thank you for it. Amen.